Okay, so welcome back. This is uh, our Tanakh and Yonah, the Yemen number 13, Baruch Hashem. And the topic is, what caused the Kharbin, uh, Tanakh perspective. So the truth is that when I began preparing this year, I had one idea in mind. And I think it kind of segued into another idea, which is what I'm going to actually focus on. And the original idea I think I'll talk about perhaps on this Shabbos when I give the woman's share. <laughs> Originally, I thought I was going to speak about the various different um, places in Tanakh that the Pesukim seem to give different indications why the Kharbin happened. And it's a fascinating discussion. There's a lot of different ones, a lot of different reasons that, that the Pesukim give. But instead, <clears throat> for today, I want to focus on the reasons that the first Pesach Mikdash was destroyed. The, the reasons that the first place of Mikdash was destroyed. So we're all familiar that the reason the first place of Mikdash was destroyed, the Gemara says, because of... Um, <coughs> I want to give her a paper. The Avedizara, um, Gilead Arias, and Shrikas Damen, right? So the first place of Mikdash is said that it was destroyed because they served idols, they killed people, Shrikas Damen and Gilead Arias, they had illicit relationships. So the tendency is, is that when we think of the two Beis HaMikdash, and the first one was destroyed for that reason, and the second one was destroyed because of Sinas Chinam, because of hatred, baseless hatred. So we think, okay, what the reasons that the first Beis HaMikdash was destroyed for is not really relevant to us. I mean, thank God, that's not something we struggle with, idol worship, uh, hopefully not Ritzicha, uh, you know, killing anybody, and, and uh, illicit relationships. And we relate much more to the second Beis HaMikdash, which was Sinas Chinam, which is definitely something that we're struggling with. But... So this is the fascinating thing, is that if you actually examine the sources in Tanakh, which the Gemara provides, to demonstrate that the reason that the Beis Mikdash was destroyed was because of the Zara, idol worship, and and killing, we'll see that it doesn't mean what we think it means. Uh, it doesn't mean you know blatant idol worship. It does, but it means something much deeper than that. Ritzicha, killing people, doesn't mean what we think it means either. And actually, it is super relevant to us as well, as much as the second Mesa Mikdash's reasons of, um, of Sinas Chinam. Um, <clears throat> of the three reasons, I'm going to begin with Shrikas Damim. That's uh, actually not in order on my sheets. I'm going to begin with Shrikas Damim, then I'm going to go back to Avedizara. We're not going to have time to do um, Gila Arayas, which is also actually a very fascinating thing, and I do think I'll try to get to that on, in the woman's year on Shabbos, Be'ez Hashem. So take a look at the first um, source over here. This is the actual Gemara that says, Mikdash Rishan Bipnei Macharav. What is the reason that the first place of Mikdash was destroyed? Bipnei Gimel Dvarim Shahayuva, because of three things that existed then. Avaydazara, idol worship, Gila Arayas, illicit relationships, Ushvichas Damim, and, uh, and murder. Avaydazara, how do we know that there was Avaydazara? Diksiv, Pasik in Yeshaya, Ki Kotsar Hamatza Mehistareya. It's actually half a pasik, but the, this part of the pasik means ki kotsar ha means the matzah is like a, a, a mat you would put on the ground to sleep on. So the mat was a little too small to fit. It was kotsar ha the mat was too small to stretch out. My kotsar ha what does it mean that the mat was too small to fit in? Amr Abiyayinasan, kotsar matzah zem, he started all of shnei reim ke'echad. The, 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 Play, resting place, in other words, the resting place of the Shechina, which is the Beis HaMikdash, was too small to accommodate two people, meaning to say the Kaddish Baruch Hu and an idol. So that's the source 
that idol worship was one of the reasons that the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed. Gilar Raiz. How do we know that Gilar Raiz was the reason why it was destroyed? Dixiv. Another pasuk in Ishaya. Vayim Hashem. Hashem said, Yan, because Kigavhu Benoi Tzion, the daughters of Tzion were um, arrogant, Vatilachna Natuyas Garoin, and they would walk with um, outstretched neck, uh, like an outward symbol of, of haughtiness. Umeshakris and Umeshakris and Naim. They would look around. Halot Vatafoyf Vatilachna Ubregleim Teikasna. They would walk around with like kind of uh, you know, uh, they would goose step around, and uh, with their with their legs, they would step on something. So the Gemara actually explains what this means. Like I said, we're not going to go into the Gilai Rais aspect of this. Shri Hasdamim, what Shri Hasdamim? Diksev v'gam dam noki shapach menasha harbe ma'od asher ada shemile es Yerushalayim mipalapai mipalapai menasha. That was one of the kings. He just spilled. Um, uh, innocent blood, harbim uh, oid, a tremendous amount. He filled Yerushalayim from door to door with the blood of innocent people that he killed. Right, that sounds kind of intense. So, <clears throat> now of the two, that of the two that we mentioned here, idol worship and um, idol worship and uh, and 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 So the second one very clearly is talking about Menashe. Right, that Menashe was the one, the king Menashe was the one that, that spilled all this innocent blood. But the first one, which is idol worship, and that the Pasuk is saying that there's no room in the Beis HaMikdash for two, it also refers to Menashe. If you look at the next source over here, it's a Gemara in Sanhedrin. First, Menashe made one idol in one corner. And the Shechina departed from that corner and went to a different corner. And he was able to tell. So, so then he made four idols in all four corners to literally uh, consciously drive the Shechina out. So that the Shechina should see and should get angry. His grandfather Achaz put a uh, idol on the roof of the base of Mekdash, Menashe Hamida Behechal, Menashe put the idol in the Hechal, Amain, which is Menashe's grandson, uh, Menashe's son, I'm sorry, Hechnisa the base Kacha Kachim. He actually moved the idol into the, this, the base Kacha Kachim, Shenemar, Kikatsar Hamatza Meistareya, the, the, the mat is too small for us to fit on, Bahamasecha Tsara Kehiskanes, and this Masecha, this idol, was a Tsara, it was like a second wife, when it was brought in. So the idol that we're referring to when we say there was idol worship in the first place in Mikdash was done by Menasha and his grandfather and his, his son that they moved the idol into the base of Mikdash. That's the idol worship we're talking about. The Ritzicha, the Shrikha Zamim that we're talking about, the murder is murder that was committed by Menasha. Who was Menasha? Menasha was actually quite a bit before the Kharbin. Menasha was um, about four kings before the Kharbin. So um, there was... There was uh, Chizkiyahu HaMelech was a very, very big tzaddik. <clears throat> he was one of the greatest tzaddikim that were kings, and very famously, a tremendous miracle happened with Chizkiyahu HaMelech that uh, one of the, king, the kings of Ashur, Sancherev, had tried to come and take over Yerushalayim, and uh, his whole army of 180,000 people, or according to some measurements in, uh, in Chazal, was more like millions of people. They all died in one night outside of Yerushalayim. They were killed by Malachim. So tremendous miracles happened with Chizkiyo, open miracles, and he was a tremendous tzaddik. He did not want to get married, Chizkiyo HaMelech. Why didn't he want to get married? Because he knew that he was going to have a son who was a huge Russia, which was Menasha, that was going to be his son. So he didn't want to get married. And because he didn't want to get married, um, HaKadosh Baruch Hu decreed he's going to die because 
he chose not to have children. So, so Yishayah Navi came to Chizkiyah HaMelech and told him that you're going to die. Do tshuva, take care of your things, and you're going to die. Why? Because he didn't really want to have children. So Chizkiyah said, well, I had a good reason why I didn't want to have children. I'm going to have Menashe. So um, Yishayah told him, It's not your business, the secrets that happen in Shemaim. It's not your business to figure out the future, what kind of children you'll have. Do what Hashem commanded you to do. Get married and have children. So Chizkiyot told Yishai Navi, you know what, I'll marry your daughter. So this way you're a tzaddik and I'm a tzaddik and hopefully between us maybe that'll help and my child will be uh, affected. So he married Yishai Navi's daughter and had Menashe. So Menashe's grandfather, Menashe's father was Chizkiyot and his grandfather was Yishai Navi. It's going to be relevant. That didn't help and he was a tremendous Russian. And this particular Russia seems to have been the his, he takes the credit, so to speak, for the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash. We'll see soon, the Pesukim actually say it clearly, that it was his actions that brought about the Kharm Beis HaMikdash. So he, he was the one who's credited with the idol worship, the Abedah Zara that destroyed the first Beis HaMikdash. He brought this idol into the Beis HaMikdash. And he was the one who's credited with the Ritzicha, with the murder that brought about the Kharbin of the Beis HaMikdash. So, again, what we're going to talk about is that the the, we typically look at idol worship and murder as something which is not something we struggle with, but we'll demonstrate soon that when it says murder over here, when it says idol worship, it's not what you think it means. And it means something actually much more, um, much more of a, uh, a fine distinction, a, uh, a heritage almost. And that was the, the, the cause, which is something which is actually very relevant today, as we'll see. So let's go... <clears throat> Um, let's go to what does this mean that he uh, look, let's, let's learn the psukim actually that talk about how he, he committed murder so if you, could, you jump down over here to the bottom of the page uh, where it says Malachim Beis Perkhafal Menashe okay, the, about last, the last source over here so it says so this is actually the very first time in Tanakh that at least in Malachim that the Nevi'im say the Kharban Beis HaMikdash is going to happen. And that happens during the time of Menashe. Chizkiyot HaMelech, maybe we'll speak about on Shabbos, got a little bit of a hint. But this was actually the first time that the, the, the Hashem decreed that the Kharban is going to happen. And Hashem said in his, his, the hands of his Avadim, his servants in Nevi'im, Because Menashe, the king of Yehuda, did all these abominations, he did worse than all the non-Jews who lived in Eretz Yisrael. That Mary, that lived there before him, and he caused that all the Jews, the Yehuda, the 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 shevet that he ruled over, um, also started sinning with idolatry because of him. Therefore, Hashem says, may be raw I'm going to bring evil on Yerushalayim, Yehuda." Asher Kal Shoima, whoever hears this evil thing, Titzalnush they all Aznav, his ears will ring from the pain of hearing this. Pasikit Gimel, Venetisi al Yerushalayim, and I will cast over Yerushalayim, Eskav Shoimrem, the same measurement, the same, uh, same Midah that happened to Shoimrem, that, uh, that was the capital of the other half of Eretz Israel, of Israel, which was already destroyed by Sancherev. Ves Mishkoilas Beis Achav, and the measuring stick of, that happened to the house of Achav, who was the last great king of the nation of Israel. Umechisi Yerushalayim, I'm going to wipe out Yerushalayim. 
because they did the evil in my eyes, and they have angered me, from the day that they left, their, their, their um, forefathers left Mitzrayim, so here we're looking at a uh, long-held grudge, which we're going to talk about in a minute, right? So it's because it's not just what Menashe did. There's, there, you know, it would seem strange that Menashe should be the, the king and he should be responsible for the whole part. But no, there's something going on here that's been going on for a long time, and we'll see soon what that was. Pasik And also, Menashe spilled um, innocent blood. A tremendous amount. Adar Shemilia Shulayim Pelapay filled the Shulayim from door to door. Levad Mechatas Asher Hefdes Yehuda. Besides the sin of idolatry that he caused Yehuda to sin, Lasses Harabein Hashem to do what's evil in the eyes of Hashem. And you skip ahead a little bit over here and look at uh, where it says Malachim Beis Perikav Gimel Yeshio Hamel. So now Menasha had a son that was also Rasha. He was Amin. And then he had a grandson who's Yeshiyahu HaMelech. Yeshiyahu HaMelech was the last tremendous tzaddik of kings um, and who successfully staved off the carbon because of his titkus. And he brought Klai Yisrael through a whole wave of tshuva. They brought a carbon Pesach, which they hadn't done in years. The whole of Klai Yisrael brought a carbon Pesach. And he, did, he wiped out all the idols from, from Eretz Yisrael. And he was sent a sign from Shemaim that they found this, when they were trying to clear out the Beis HaMikdash from all the idols that Menashe had put there, they found a Sefer Torah. And the Sefer Torah was open to the place where it says, all the clawless, all the curses of the Tehichah, all the punishments is going to happen, and he took it to heart, and he made a tremendous wave of tshuva. So the Pasik says there was no one like him. Pasik chafei, ochomoy lahoy lefon emelach, and there was no king like him, Yeshua HaMelach, hashashav el Hashem mechol avavoy, uvechol nash vechol ma'odeh, that returned to Hashem, did tshuva with his whole, his heart, nefesh ma'odeh, kechol teres ma'isha, like all that it says in teres ma'odeh, achrav lekam kamayu, and afterwards there was no one like him, after him, his children basically were the ones that ruled while the carbon based mikdash happened, uh, Yachania was his son, Tzitkiyo was his son. So those, the final kings were the kings, the, his children that actually went into Galus. Pasik Chavav, but the Pasik says, Hashem but still it wasn't enough. And Hashem didn't step back from his tremendous anger, Ashachara Apa Yehuda, that he had been uh, enraged at Yehuda, Menasha. All the evil things that Menasha did. So Menasha is be giving full credit for the carbon. Even the, the tshuva, the tremendous wave of tshuva that Yeshio brought about, couldn't undo the damage that Menasha did. Hashem, and therefore Hashem said, Gamas Yehuda Asir Yehuda also I will remove from my face Kasha Asiroisias Yisrael as I removed Klai Yisrael, the other half of Yisrael, the, sec- the different part of the country. And I will be, I will discuss in this, this city, Yerushalayim, Asher Bechati, Yerushalayim, Vesabayis, and the Beis Hamikdash, Asher Amarti, Yish Misham. I don't want it anymore. And then there's one other pasuk. Uh, look at the next piece here. Malachim Beis Perik Chavdalat. Ach Al Pi Hashem Hoyse Bihuda. This was Al Pi Hashem LaHaser Mi Al Panav to remove it from his face. Bechatos Menasha because of the sins of Menasha Kachal Asher Asa as all he did. Begam Dam Hanaki Asher Shafach. Also the the innocent blood that he spilled by Amalias Yerushalayim Dam Naki and he filled the Yerushalayim with um, innocent blood. But Av Hashem Lashleach and Hashem did not want to forgive. So, we're seeing a very clear picture over here that Menashe seems to have been the one that was the catalyst, at least the catalyst. Yes, there was some kind of long-standing issues that was going on, but the catalyst was Menashe. Menashe brought the idol into the base of Mikdash. Menashe was the one that spilled blood from, from wall to wall, and he caused the carbon to happen. All the tshuva that Kali Yisrael did just wasn't enough, and Hashem was not getting past what Menashe did. So what did Menashe do? 
What did he do? Ooh, how did he fill the wall Yerushalayim with blood from, from uh, wall to wall? So listen to what he did. It's a lot less than you think. Look at the, now turn back to the first side. Um, actually, no, I'm sorry. Uh, no, the same side, I'm sorry, same side. First, the first source on this side, Sanhedrin, Daf, Kuf, Gimel, Ahmed Beis. Sanhedrin, Daf, Kuf, Gimel, Ahmed Beis. V'gam, Dam, Naki, Shafaf, Menashe, Harbim, Oid, Adashem, Milez, Yerushalayim, Pelopet. So Yerushalayim, the Menashe spilled so much blood, Adashem, Milez, Yerushalayim, Pelopet. So he filled Yerushalayim from door to door. Hacha, Targimu, this is how it means. Shahara, Gishai, he killed Yishai, Anavi. That's it. We'll see the second part of the Quran in a minute. He killed Yishai, he killed his grandfather. Now that's a pretty serious event. He killed Yishai Navi, who was the leader of all of Kali Yisrael. Why did, why did he kill Yishai? So there's another Gemara. It's a Gemara in Yavamis. We learned it recently in, in Daf Memtesam uh, and Beis. We learned it in um, Daf Shabwa. And I didn't bring down the Gemara because it's a little complicated Gemara. But the Gemara says like this. He put Yishai Navi on trial. He didn't just kill him. And he didn't kill him because he was giving him Musr and he was rebuking him, rebuking him Kali Yisrael, which would which is probably his motivation. But that's not what he did. He accused Yeshaya Navi of being a kaifer, being someone that denied the truth, the veracity of Tarah's Maisha, of Hashem, of Maisha Beda's Tarah. He, he, he showed Yeshaya that three of his nevuas, three psukim that Yeshaya said, contradict things that Maisha Beda said. One of them is very famous. Yeshaya Navi says, Dirshu Hashem Yeshaya Navi says that call out to Hashem, we lay this in every time this Sibur, call out to Hashem when he is available. Kiruhu, call to him when he's near you. So Menashe said, what's going on over here? The Pasuk in the Torah says, Who's like Hashem? You can always call out to him. Why are you saying Hashem is only sometimes available and sometimes not? He accused him of Kfir. And the two other, two other psukim, most fascinating questions that he asked him, and the Gemara eventually answers a very famous answer that Yeshaya Navi is explaining that the, there's a difference between Aseris uh, and the rest of the year, or is the difference between when we dab them together with the Tzibur, then Hashem is always available, we dab them alone, then He's only available during the Aseris So the Gemara eventually answers the, all the questions that Menashe asked. But the Gemara says that Yeshaya Navi said to himself, I can answer him, but if I answer him, he'll ignore my answers and kill me anyway. And then he'll be amazed. And then he'll be doing it deliberately. Uh, and now, if I don't answer him, he'll think he's right. And he'll be a shaygig. So I won't answer him. And I'll let him be a shaygig. He tried to run away. Menashe caught him. The Gemara says that Yeshaya said a shame of Hashem and had himself ensconced in a tree. And then Yeshaya cut down the tree and killed... And, and Menashe caught down the tree and killed his grandfather. And this was carried out ostensibly within for the frameworks of the law, of Jewish law, right? Someone was a kaifer, someone was a, a heretic. Um, he he, he brought him to task. Yeshaya couldn't answer himself, so he put him to death. And this is the shvichas damim that filled Yerushalayim from door to door. That's what the Pasuk is talking about, right? So now that's, that's kind of... Now, killing Yeshaya Navi, that's very serious business, but when you think about it, he killed him ostensibly, as Yeshaya himself says, he was a shagik. He felt he had valid questions, and he was accusing him of being a heretic. He was accusing him of kfira, and he put him to death, as is his right as a king. It's his job. Who else is going to put the Navi to death? That's the, the only the king can do that. And yet, this was the Ritzicha, the Shrichas Damim, that caused the Charbon Beis, the Mikdash, that Kaj couldn't get past. 
Now, <clears throat> first, let's think about a little bit the damage that killing Yeshaya Hanavi caused. Take a look over here in this next piece here. It's a Kliyakar. Uh, so Kliyakar is the same Kliyakar of Chomish. He has also a Pirish on um, Tanakh. So he says, Leniz Daiti, Efshir, I think, Bezesh Horgu es Yeshaya, Hamazak es Rabin. He killed Yeshaya, who was the one who has the most, actually, it's the, it's, it's, he's the most uh, vociferous of all the Nevi'im. He has the, long, it's the longest Navi we have, 66 Prakim. Hamazak es Rabin, he was being Mazak the Rabin. He was causing them to do tshuva. By doing that, he, he essentially caused everybody now to start doing Averis. And his Aver was worse than just simple Ratzicha, killing. Because causing people to sin is even worse than killing them. And also... Uh, innocent blood. Who Yeshaya Shafak Menashe? That's the blood of Yeshaya Menashe spilled. V'nechshav damoi laharbe meoid, and his death was considered like multiple deaths. V'damim merubim, damoi v'dam hanashim ashayim achivshu. His blood and the blood of all the people that he could have had effect on, all the people that he could have caused to do tshuva, all the people that he caused, he could have made better. Ad sharehu ki ilu milas yisraelim dam teldet. That's why it was as if by killing him. He filled Yerushalayim with blood from door to door. The language of from peh le peh, meaning to door to door, also means from mouth to mouth, because that was the way he would affect people. Yeshaya would say nevuah, he would talk to them. He would be uh, rebuked with his mouth, the people who were sinning. He would speak to them, he wouldn't have any fear. It turns out that by killing him, he caused tremendous widespread sinning. And that's besides... That's besides the idol, idol worship that he caused that the Jews should do. That's also a, an effect of Machter And he prevented them from really doing tshuva. Because of Yeshaya, who was the one who was calling out for Klai Yisrael to do tshuva. So... So we start to understand why the, the Tanakh looks at this as, as effectively by killing Yeshaya is as if he murdered many, many people because he caused the spiritual death of so many people through taking away the one person that had the ability, that had the influence to give rebuke and people listen to him and cause him to do tshuva. Okay, but still, right? I mean, Lemaisa, he killed one person and uh, he called him thinking he was doing the right thing. So... <clears throat> What's fascinating is, is like this, there's a Gemara that says that there were, during the time of the, the Beis HaMikdash, there were two Kahanim that were racing to do one of the Avaidas. Uh, the the Avaid of Trumas HaDashan that's removing the ash from the Mizbech was the first thing you could do in the day in the Beis HaMikdash, and that was something that they didn't hold a lottery. Most of the things they held a lottery who could do it. And this is one thing that you got to race up the, you got to race up the ramp, and whoever got there first got to do it. Now, one thing to understand about the, uh, the Kahanim and the, and the Beis HaMikdash, we think that you know, they were there all, all year, and they were serving the Beis HaMikdash. Your average client got to serve in the Beis HaMikdash twice a year, and twice, two days a year, and if he didn't necessarily get to do anything on those days, meaning there were many, many Kahanim. So the Kahanim were divided up into Mishmaris, and there were 24 Mishmaris. So each Mishmar was then divided, they got a week. Each Mishmar got a week, so there's 24 and 24 is 48 weeks, and then the other weeks are the, the Yom Taibim. So the 48 weeks were divided up into these Mishmaris. 
So each Mishmar got a week, and then each Mishmar was divided up into a base of it, which means each uh, was divided up into days of the week. So you belong to a certain Mishmar, and you belong to a certain base of So you got one day a week, twice a year, that you got to serve in the base of Mikdash. And even that day of the week, there were many Kehanim in the base of Mikdash. There, there were so many, so they made lotteries who got to do whatever it was that there was needed doing. Uh, so you might have gotten something, you might have gotten nothing. So you're waiting and training the whole year to be able to serve in the base of Mikdash, and you don't get a chance. Just understand that. So when they had this, op- this opportunity to run up uh, the, the cabin, run up the ramp, and so, you know, there, was, there was a lot of competition, and it was a very, a very heated race. So during one of these races, while they still, allow, they still allowed this, they allowed them to race it out, two Kahanim were getting close to the edge, and one of them like, was about to get ahead, and he gave a shove to the other kind. The other kind fell off the, ca- the keves and died. And then they, they stopped it. They said, okay, that's it, we're not going to do this anymore, and we're going to... We're going to um, only allow lotteries for everything. And the Gemara then quotes this Pasuk, Gam Dam Naki Mile Menasha Milas Yerushalayim Pelapat. Menasha filled Yerushalayim with blood from door to door. So, <clears throat> what? There's different ways to understand what that means, what the connection is. The way I understand it is as, as follows. What Menasha did by murdering Yeshaya is yes, he caused, he, he, he caused a tremendous damage immediately simply by, by murdering Yeshaya, who could have given so much Musr and could have changed so many people's lives. But more than that, what he did was he created a certain lack of respect for human life, for a Jewish life. And that's the only way that such a thing could have happened. That one kind could push, even though it was in the fit of trying to do Avedis Hashem, trying to do a mitzvah, just trying to get ahead. There was a lot of competition. And he certainly did not uh, intend to push him off and and to kill him. But it represented a certain lack of respect for human life. And that was the effect of the murder of Yishai. The question? I'm trying to understand why that would cause that. I'm saying like it's not like any... Right, right, right. So my assumption is is that uh, nobody bought it. Everybody knew that this was a kangaroo court. You know that uh, Yeshaya could easily have defended himself, and Menashe was just doing this because he, you know, Yeshaya was his chief rebuker, was his grandfather. You know, and uh, he, he couldn't he couldn't deal with him. So I'm I'm guessing it was understood. At least enough people understood. And even with that, you know, someone like Yeshaya Hanavi even with the accusations leveled against him, it would have probably required a lot more. You know, the Sigmar says that the Batedin and the Bezdin, even when they did give the death penalty, it was so rare. Uh, it was once in seven years, once in 70 years. It was, it were, even though we have the death penalty in Judaism, it was really meted out. So this, the fact that they carried out this death, death sentence, which was seen by many as, you know, not really authentic, it lessened, it cheapened the value of life. And the way it came, the way it was seen, was in this event, which was essentially a very holy event. People were really trying their best to serve a Kaddish Baruch Hu, but it demonstrated a certain lack of respect for human life. And this, in my understanding, is the Shvichas Dhammim that we're talking about, that filled Yerushalayim from door to door, and was the Shvichas Dhammim that brought about the destruction of Beit Hamikdash. Very few people actually had to die, but it was the Hergish the lack of respect for human life that really brought it about. So uh, to give it a little bit more of understanding, I think what it means is like this, and as far as I'm explaining this as follows, that when we say Shvichas Damim destroyed the, carbon, the, the base of Mikdash, what we're really trying to say is like this, is that there was so much loss of life 
when the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed. There was tremendous loss of life. And how could such a thing happen? Why didn't it protect the Jews, right? The fact that they were mitzvahs, they're Avedis Hashem, they're closest to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And the answer is, is that, well, the Jews themselves are committing Shrikha Zdamim. If the Jews themselves are losing their respect for human life, if the Jews themselves are, are, are missing what it means to understand what a Jew is, what a someone who could serve Hashem, and each unique value of every human life, that, therefore, it failed to protect them, to protect their own lives. That's, the, that's usually what this means, this concept. So uh, just to bring it home to us, what I was thinking of is that, you know, we, we had a few catastrophes, uh, one after another, right? There was Marone, and then there was the Stalin, the, the, the bleachers just fell down, and people died, and now Miami Beach, and people died. And well, obviously we're affected and we're horrified, but think about it is that we don't necessarily know how to measure how much we should be horrified, but Akash Borchu knows how to measure how much we should be horrified. And if we're not horrified enough, so then that, that, that's some lack of respect and, and uh, chashivas for human life. And that, as we see here, translates into Shri Chazam. So, uh, my point to trying to make is, is saying when we talk about what destroyed the first base of Mikdash and we say Shri Chazam and we think, hey, murder, okay, we don't do that. They didn't do that either. <laughs> That's not the murder that we're talking about when the, the base of Mikdash was destroyed. The murder was a lack of respect for human life. And that's something that everybody has to think about. And um, just to give you a, uh, a, a, a beautiful story, just the concept of what this means. Um, <clears throat> The Rabbi Shulev Diskin, who was the first, he was a Rabbi Brisk, and then he was a Rabbi Yerushalayim, and he was very, very famous going, and he was a tremendous, tremendous tzaddik in Yerushalayim. Um, and uh, he said once, I want to demonstrate to you what's the difference between me and my father. His father's name was Rabbi Yaman Diskin, he was also a Rav. So he said that one time, he, uh, his father was a Rav, he would answer Shilas, and he was young still, he could have been as young as, you know, before Bar Mitzvah, he was very, very, very brilliant. And he used to hang around in the, in the room, like where people came to wait and to ask their questions, like the, the waiting room. And he would ask people, what's your question? And then he would start thinking about it and discussing with them, and then they would go and ask his father what the halach is. He says, one time a contingent of people came from a nearby city, and what, happened at, what had happened is that the, the Beis HaMedrash had burnt down and the, some secretary had unfortunately burnt with it as well. And they wanted to know, halakhically, do they have to start sifting through the ashes to find the ashes of secretary in order to bury it? Do they have to bury all the ashes? They're trying to figure out halakhically what they have need to do. So he says, I heard the question, and I started debating with them halakhically. You know, you go to the majority, they all back, back and forth. He says, then they went into my father, and they asked him the question, and he fainted. And he says, that was the difference between my father and me. So when we look at the difference between generations, it's that hergish, it's that feeling of chashivas for our values, for what's important to us, what means something, that really demonstrates the difference in generations. And when we mourn, see that's what, when, you know, we, we mourn for the Beis HaMikdash is not so much that we do tshuva, of course we have to do tshuva, but, but the, the time of the three weeks is a time of mourning because we, what we really need to do is recognize that. And then thereby recognizing it, we can try to stop it, uh, at least lessen it. So if we recognize the difference in different generations and their values and see like what it meant to them, a Jewish life, and the chashivas they had and the kind of effort they would make and put to save someone and to help someone and how what they would feel when they would hear a tsara and a tragedy happened, 
So then we can understand what's at least what we lost and what we can try to do to bring ourselves up a level. So that's Shri Chazdam. Now let's talk a little bit about um, Avaidah Zara. <clears throat> uh, I just actually want to before, just uh, before we get, we finish with Shri Chazdam, take a look at the very last source over here. Um, on, it's a Metsudas David. It just, he explains that Pasik that says, V'gam dam hanaki, the blood that he spilled. So look at the Metsudas Dav, Asha Shafach. Ratzalayma. Since Menashe was lenient, was uh, callous with spilling blood, they also learned to start murdering and, and spilling blood. That's how he filled the, the Yerushalayim with blood. And he made everybody into murderers. That's why Hashem didn't want to forgive because people learn from the evil of Menasha. So it's just demonstrating that point that it wasn't so much the fact that he killed, but as much as the example he set, and that caused a steady weakening of the chashivas for for the, for the horror of murder. Okay, let's go back to um, yeah. Go ahead. Was it were the rest of the people in that door just not capable of? Um, Standing up against him. Stopping him. Because it sounds like he like what Korach did. It's like it was completely not the Shema. He really was like making an issue with right. the other one. But everybody just let it happen. I'm not, you know, I'm saying it's of standing up against the king, right? How realistic is that? So there's two ways to look at that. Um, One way is there's different places in Tanakh where you find that the people actually did stand up against the king. Uh, One of the kings were put to death by the people for his sins, one of the Malchi Yehuda. So it was something that people could do. So that could be one possibility that people were expected to stand up to the king and do something about it. But I think in particular with this, and in particular with the fact that, that you know, Menashe is held responsible and he's given the name, so to speak, as the... I think it's the other way around. It, it, the king represented where people were holding. Uh, if the king could do that, the king was doing that, it was because that's where people were holding. And you see that in Chazal regarding Yeshiyahu. I said before, you know, Yeshiyahu was Menashe's grandson and he made this tremendous wave of tshuva and everybody changed and etc. So why was he unsuccessful? Zygmar asks. He died, he was killed actually in war. Why? So the Gemara says because there were Litzane Hadar. There were these people who were making light of what he was doing. They were mocking what he was doing. And what they did was that they put, if you picture like on a double door like that, on the inside of the door they, they inscribed an idol. And uh, he, would, he would have like a police force that would go around searching house to house for idols. And they would hear a, a rumor that this person has an idol in his house. They would go and they would open the two doors. But once the doors opened, you couldn't see what the, the, you couldn't see the, the idol figure. So they did this not so much to actually serve idolatry, but to mock what he was doing and to cheapen his efforts. So you do see that there was some kind of underlying problem in Klai Yisrael, which was causing you know, the, 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 the ultimate what happened in the king. That, that's the way I think. I think this both ways are true, but I think that's, a, that, that's largely what's going on here, is that Menashe demonstrates you know, what was really going on in Klai Yisrael. Go ahead. Supposed to be born, and that this was all supposed to happen. Like, I guess it's along similar lines. Uh, uh, you do in Bechira? Was right, you know, waiting for this because that's where we were holding. But Hashem 
you know, let us know if there's going oh. to be some of the comments. That happens to be an excellent question which Gamora also asks, <laughs> strangely enough, but it's, uh, it, it, the problem with that question is that it touches on something that we can't possibly understand the answer. That's the problem. In other words, Yidiyam Bechiri means what HaKadosh Baruch knows and we have free choice is one of those conundrums that we, as of yet, don't have a good way of answering it. Um, so it's actually, it could be a topic of another share. <laughs> Not a share I would like to give because it will leave you with a lot of questions, but it's just pretty fascinating. <laughs> no, yes, but I'm just saying, but that, that, those are like really serious questions and it's just pretty fascinating when you see the way the Gemara kinds of try to dance around this problem. This is actually one example where the Gemara asks this, because, uh, get into all the details, but Gemara has this problem. Okay, so let's talk about a little bit about idol worship. What does that really mean? <clears throat> so, as we said, that the Pasik, the Gemara quotes, is talking about Yeshaya, and Yeshaya had brought an idol into the Beis Amikdash, and he deliberately tried to make uh, an idol, an idolatry in a way that would drive out the Shekhinah. Now, there's this fa- another fascinating Gemara about Yeshaya, and this ge- about Mitzrayim Menashe, and also gives you a little idea of what we're talking about over here. Look at it's on the bottom of uh, the first the first side here. It's Sanhedrin, second to the last uh, source. Sanhedrin Daf Kuf Beis Amid Beis. Ravashi Aiki Ashloisha Malachim. So Ravashi, it was one of the final Amirayim. He was going to give a shear about three kings. Um, so he started his uh, shear and Omar Lomachar. Tomorrow, he, t- when he finished his shear, he told his students, "Tomorrow, Niftach B'Chavrin. We're going to start the shear with our friend." who was Menashe. He was referring to the king Menashe. So our friend Menashe, we're going to start talking about it. Also Menashe is Chazal B'chalma. So Menashe came to Rav Ashi in a dream. Omar, Chavroch, V'chaveri Davuch Karaslan. You're calling me your friend and the friend of your father, like you're making me your equal? Mehecha boys l'mishri ha'maytzi. Do you even know where you're supposed to cut the bread when you make ha'maytzi? When you make a challah, have a challah, do you even know where you're supposed to cut a challah from? Amalei la'yadana. He says, I don't know. Ravashi said he admitted. He doesn't know. So, Amar Lei, Menashe told him, You don't even a simple uh, halacha of daily life, of bread, cutting your bread. You don't know where you're supposed to cut your bread from. And you're calling me your friend? You're equal, making me equal to you? Amar Lei, Agmar Ali. So Ravashi said, okay, teach me. You know, he was very humble. He said, I accept. Teach me. And tomorrow, I'll say it over in your name, in, uh, in my shir. The place you cut it is the place where it's the most cooked, the most baked. The way they used to bake the chalas then, they would actually stick it to the side of the oven. That's the way it would work then. So by sticking it to the side of the oven, the part that was stuck to the oven was actually the hardest part. It was the most baked. That's where you're supposed to cut it from. This is halacha, actually. This is the halacha in Shulchan Aruch. He, he made it into Shulchan Aruch, Menashe. What would that be today? Uh, it's not really so relevant with our kind of... Uh, but if, if, you, if there is, let's say, the part that touches the pan is sometimes harder, that would be the place where you cu- officially you're supposed to cut from. So Amalei and Aravashi asked him a very good question. If you're so smart, if you're so wise, you knew so much Torah, my time so what were you serving idols for? <laughs> a valid question. So his answer doesn't help that much. Amalei, he said, if you'd be there... You would hold the bottom of your, 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 your coat or your um, shirt. And you would run after me to be able to serve Avedizar with me. That's how strong the sin of Avedizar was. The next day, he told Ravashi, opened his shir by saying, Let's start with our Rebbe. And he uh, quoted Menashe's Chiddush. 
So this is a fascinating Gemara, obviously, right? And it's a little, definitely very difficult to understand. But uh, one thing that Mepharshim tried to understand of here is what, this is a very random kind of halacha, right? Where do you cut the bread from the place? You know, he wanted to show up Ravashi, he wanted to demonstrate that I know more than you. There's a funny halacha to choose. And also they say, you know, okay, so big deal. You quote, you quote Ravashi on one halacha, you know more than him. So big deal, you know. A lot of Torah was forgotten over the generations. That doesn't, uh, why, what does it demonstrate? So, uh, different Mepharshim say, this is basically the idea that they're all saying, that Tazurav says, and uh, other Mepharshim say, they say like this, <clears throat> they say that Menashe was demonstrating to Ravashi something, Ravashi, you're calling me your friend because your assumption was that we served the Vedizara out of lack of knowledge. We served idols because we didn't understand the Kaddish Baruch Hu. we lost our faith, we lost our, 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 our interest in Judaism, we, weren't, we didn't care about the mitzvahs, and he demonstrated to Rashi, I'll show you that it's not true. We were so focused on Avedis Hashem, our understanding of mitzvahs was so intense that we didn't let even a fraction of an action that we wouldn't be serving Hashem with that action. In other words, there was no moment, nothing we did that we even moved an iota, an inch, without knowing exactly how to serve Hashem with that inch. So Ravashi said, show me. So he said, when you cut bread, right, you make a hamaytzi, you're serving Hashem, you're going to eat bread, you're eating bread, l'shem, you know, as you get stronger in the serve of Kaddish Baruch But when you cut the bread, that moment, when, do you know how to serve Hashem to cut the bread? Do you know how to, where to cut? Are you serving Hashem cutting in the right place? And Rashi says, you're right, I don't know. And Menashe said, we, even in that moment, we knew how to serve a Kaddish Baruch Hu. So tells Rav said, we, we knew how to serve a Kaddish Baruch Hu, where to cut, where Hashem wants us to cut. Others say, similar idea, they say that the, the place where the, ba- the bread is baked the most is the part where a person might feel like, this is what I did. Right? Bread generally demons- is uh, the symbol for is what I do, what I, I accomplished, my bread, I, I baked it, I harvested it, and the place, place where it's baked the most is where the, the, most, uh, the most you think you accomplished, and that's where we cut it, and that's where we made the bracha to demonstrate, no, that's from a Kaddish Baruch So there was no Kaddish Baruch Everything we attributed to Kaddish Baruch we had full knowledge and understanding of what it means to serve Hashem, how to serve Hashem, and what Hashem, what Hashem represents. So then Ravashi asked him, so then why did you serve a Zara? To which he answered, if you'd be there, you would have run after it also. So it's a little bit of a cryptic answer. It doesn't seem to really be answering him. And what, we don't have so much time left, but... The, the concept is, is that when they served the Vedizara, they what they were doing was something a little different. It wasn't that they were just rejecting Hashem because they weren't interested in, uh, in mitzvahs, they didn't have faith, they weren't, it wasn't modern day atheism. What it was, was they were not interested in giving up their, their um, Bechira, so to speak, meaning to, meaning to say like this, using the example of Shemitah. Right? So what does the Kaddish Baruch Hu want from us with Shemitah? Because that's, like I said, I don't have time now, but the, the psukim in the Torah say that the actual reason why the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed was because they didn't keep Shemitah. That's the psukim in the Torah say. And we'll talk about this more on Shabbos. Um, but if you use the example of Shemitah, what does the Torah expect of us of Shemitah, right? You're not going to plant for a whole year, your whole livelihood, you have nothing to support yourself with. How did... What, what does her expect of people? So the Torah says, because I guarantee it. Hashem says, I guarantee it. I'll, I'll, I'll provide for you. I'll make sure in the sixth year it grows a lot. In the eighth year it grows a lot. You're going to have enough. Don't worry about it. I'll take care of you. So Hashem very clearly says, well, this is the plan. You stop. I'll take care of you. Well, in order to do that, so you have to believe. 
You have to believe that Hashem will do that. Okay, so that's for us, I think, perhaps the challenge. Do we believe? Do we believe enough? But for that generation, that wasn't the challenge. They believed. The next step of the challenge is be willing to give up your control over the situation. Because if you do that, you lose control, right? Because you, now you're, you don't have food anymore. You're not producing the food anymore. You have no uh, way of ensuring that you're going to have what you need for tomorrow. You have to rely on a Kaddish Baruch And that is actually a greater test than the first test. Meaning to say, think of it in terms of ourselves. If someone would tell you, listen, I will provide everything you need. And you'll believe him. But I'll provide everything you need. Just if they ask me, I'll give you money for tomorrow. I'll give you money for next week. I'll give you money for anything you want to buy. But the, you, the only, the only tonight is you don't make any money. You, don't, you have to totally be subjected to me. Whatever, whenever I give you money, I'll give you money. Ask me, I'm guaranteeing you I'm going to give you the money. Now, what will hold us back from doing that, we, maybe we don't want to accept things from other people, you know, that it takes away from our self-esteem. Could, but let's say the other guy even owed us, you know, uh, our father saved his father, and there's some reason why he actually owed us, so we don't feel so bad for taking from him. But I think the bigger problem we would have is that we don't want to have to constantly ask him and be reliant on someone else's generosity in order to be able to have what we need. And that is a very powerful a very powerful emotion because that's why children leave the parents' house. <laughs> that's why people leave, you know, they, they give up one of the most uh, safe and, um, and, and, and nurturing and, and loving environments is because they want to be on their own. They want to be independent. It's one of the strongest emotions that a person has. And it's what a Baruch says, that's what I want you to give up for me. Willingly give up your independence for me. So when they served the way to Zara, what they were doing is like this. They say, I know what a Baruch wants. And I trust him, and I know if I serve him, he'll provide for me. But I don't want to give up my independence. And with Avaidah Zara, it was kind of like you would call a cheat code in a, in a video game, which is that there was different ways of manipulating what happened in the world. You served these idols, which were spirits. They, had, they at least appeared to them to have a certain strength where you could force what you want to happen in order to happen. You could take full control. That's what idolatry was really about. So what they were doing is, so to speak, they were, when they were forcing a Kaddish Baruch out of the Beis HaMikdash, they literally were, in this, in this term, meaning to say, their choice was, do we go with a Kaddish Baruch who they had full knowledge and understanding exactly how to serve a Kaddish Baruch and what it meant to serve a Kaddish Baruch You have to sacrifice the Kaddish Baruch You have to serve Hashem with every step, and then He'll provide everything you need. That was one choice. And they said, no, we don't want to do that. We want to be independent. We want to be able to control our lives on our own. And by serving of Avedizara, you could do that. By serving of Avedizara, you called the shots. There's, again, many sources that by Avedizara, it was, um, uh, it says they were al and they, they stood above their gods. They kind of dictated what their gods should do. There's also, again, this is a, a, a long discussion for within of itself, but that's the concept. So, again, <clears throat> when we're talking about how Avedizara relates to us today, it's not idol worship that was the problem. It wasn't the actual service of Avedi Zara. That was what Kalei was held responsible for. And like if the other source, if you get a chance to take a look at it, they were held responsible because they didn't keep Shemitah. That's why they were sent out of, they were sent into Galus, because it was that unwillingness to really rely on the Kaddish Baruch Hu and to give up a person's own control of the situation that they were held responsible for. That was the idolatry. And that's something that we can relate to today also. Okay, we'll stop over here. Um,